0: Well, it's probably pertinent that you would—I'll repeat the question, sorry. Um, how do we, if I can summarize, because I don't know if I can repeat it uh, verbatim, how can we use our language in such a way that it is not uh, offensive or a distraction when it comes to the issue of homosexuality? Is that a pretty good summary? Okay. Um, and it's probably appropriate that I would be the first to answer this question, because I'm the chief of sinners. Uh, I mean, it it I grew up in that era, and so I understand it and and have heard it and and all too often i 'm sure repeat it uh, without even thinking um, and I think that's that 's what we need to do first of all is think uh, think about the nature of changing culture around us, uh, the nature of uh, our even our makeup of people within our churches uh, has changed. It, it's not uh, quite the white Anglo-Saxon uh, <laughs> wasp uh, that it used to be. Uh, and uh, uh, So as a consequence, we have to think first and then speak. Uh, be slow to anger, slow to speak, quick to listen. Uh, so I, I, I know for my own self, I need to think harder and think more clearly about the things I say. And, and it hopefully will uh, cause me to consider my audience. Um, not only the audience that I'm speaking to immediately, but the peripheral audience that is around as well. Uh, and thankfully, we have friends, uh, friends who will help us uh, to identify things in our language that may need to change. Things in our lives that need to change. And those are the best kind of friends we can have.
1: One of the biggest temptations that um, we have when we use our language is we assume everybody that we're about to talk to thinks the same way we do. And I've assumed that, and it's gotten me into trouble on occasion. Um, So I'm learning not to assume that, right? I'm learning to assume that if I'm going to say something about something, it needs to be something that is like apples of gold in settings of silver. <laughs> it has to be a fit word. It has to be a word that anyone who believes anything could hear uh, from a heart that loves people. Makes sense? So just, just kind of some awareness of how I'm going to come off, how I'm going to present myself um, is helpful. Now, having said that, where does speech come from, right? It comes out of the heart. So our speech comes out of the heart. So not only do you have to kind of be aware of how you're speaking to people, you have to be aware of what's in your heart that's tempting you to come out and say things that maybe aren't as helpful as they
2: could be. I always say things I shouldn't. (laughs) I I mean, if you have, I mean, to Gail even. well, most of the things I say to Gail, I probably should say uh, No, it's uh, if you if you have a sense of humor, uh, which m- many people do, uh, it's something that you really have to be careful with because uh, a quick wit can uh, be something that is uh, your pride can get caught up in You're, you can get a skewed sense of what is appropriate, because you start kind of enjoying people's response to you when you say something that, uh, that makes people laugh. Uh, you, and in a sense, uh, you're trying to form their opinion of you by what you say and, and how you speak. And uh, I, I think the right perspective, the one that uh, protects us, is always having in our, the back of our mind the gospel, the humility that comes from knowing that you did nothing to earn your salvation, that there's, there's nothing you can do. That you're, uh, that you're more like the worst possible sinner than you are like Christ. Uh, that, that should be what tempers your speech, because speaking from humility, speaking from a right understanding of your position uh, as a believer and uh, as you were as an unbeliever, of Christ on the cross, uh, I think, is a goes a long way. Toward tempering our words and and altering our perspective, and keeping us from saying things that really, maybe in an instant, we shouldn't say uh, that we that we might regret. Really,
3: I do have a follow up question with that, but as as they're speaking, is there is there anything anything that's come to your mind? Yeah, Andrew, go ahead. Andrew, would you mind standing up, yes, sir? sir? Yeah. So
4: we all know it's right to honor in our speech what is honorable, whether it be an individual or a uh, philosophy, a way of life, etc. Would you mind to explain to us uh, why it is wrong to dishonor a philosophy that is dishonorable? So so to speak, um, let's say for example making fun of homosexuality or something like that, something we know is
5: dishonorable. Why is it wrong to dishonor?
2: Well, they, uh, I, what comes to mind for me is uh, that section in Proverbs where it says, answer a fool, don't answer a fool. They're back-to-back verses that seemingly say the opposite, right? So I think the, the point there is that our responses need to be context-sensitive. So if we're talking to uh, a practicing homosexual versus Uh, someone that is not a practicing homosexual but an unbeliever or someone that is a believer but is tempted uh, or someone that that fully agrees with our perspective on what the Bible has to say about homosexuality, your answer to any question or or, uh, circumstance needs to be informed by the context, just like our interpretation of scripture is informed by the context. Our response, if it's going to be godly, needs to be Informed to the context uh, in which we're providing it. So, you know, you look at the life of Paul and how he uh, he did not always choose to claim his Roman citizenship. He chose to advance certain things and ignore certain things at certain times, always for maximizing the opportunity uh, for the spread of the gospel. So uh, there, there really, I can't... Um, we're never encouraged in Scripture to mock anything, or that the cause of Christ would be advanced by mocking something. So uh, even though uh, you know, we're, we're not supposed to use our, our minds and our abilities to, uh, to advance our own perspective apart from Scripture, we're supposed to use our abilities to advance Scripture. So I guess kind of combining that, those uh, thoughts it it just there is not a context in that would ever be appropriate to mock a specific kind of sin because it's not really our job to uh, dishonor it by mocking it it's our job to say what God has to say about it and and to do that in context in the context of the whoever we're talking to
1: and there's a sense in which we shouldn't laugh about something that God hates
0: I'm mindful of the passage in 2 Timothy 2, um, where Paul is directing Timothy how to respond to those who are in opposition. And he says, reproving those in opposition with gentleness in the hopes that the Lord may grant them repentance. So uh, I don't want to read too much into your question, Andrew, but that term gentleness haunts me. Uh, I I want to be certain that what I say can be inviting to people rather than off-putting or offensive and things are going to be uh, offensive anyway uh if we're talking about the gospel Uh, but unnecessarily offensive i i don't want to be just simply because that's just a, a distraction at that point so reproving with gentleness how can i be gentle in this scenario still speaking truth but not uh, doing so in a way that that is just going to turn people off.
3: I wonder you know, if, I, if I could come off of that and ask you to respond to this in Ephesians 4 29, it, it talks about how our language should be and it says no let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth but only that which is good for building up uh, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and I, I don't know I, in some situations that I've been in in which that's the kind of language that happens, it's so rare and, and so wonderful. And so I wonder if uh, a, a question uh, like, like Andrew's, why can't we mock something that's dishonorable or dishonor it, I, I, don't, I wonder if you could see how that might fit with the way that Christians are to use their language according to Ephesians.
0: My suspicion is that at some point this semester, you have a fallacy in your, in your uh, logic class that will address the uh, the fact that mocking doesn't really get to the truth of the matter. Uh, in other words, I would rather, uh, you know, speak truth with someone and engage in a conversation than just simply call them names uh, because name calling doesn't advance the discussion, doesn't advance the argument. It, it really, it probably, uh, does more harm to ourselves than it does to someone else because all it reveals is our own heart as Pam was talking about. So it, it really doesn't advance the discussion. I would rather, uh, again as Paul says, speak the truth in love in such a way that that people are really going to engage the conversation and not feel like you've just simply either dismissed them or that you're just another homophobe or something like that.
1: And I think also mocking any sin like um, making fun of any anybody's doing anything and approaching that person in a mocking way, what does that say about me? That says, I think I'm better than you. I think I would never do that, right? If I, unless I'm willing to mock myself, right? Uh, If I'm mocking somebody else, I'm automatically putting myself in a morally superior position to them in my own mind.
3: That
6: was a good question, Andrew. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. In the light of the Christian doctrine of total depravity or the doctrine of sin, how do we talk with the secular world distinguishing between sin and them saying that homosexuality is something we're born with?
0: Well, it's interesting that you should mention uh, being born with it. In fact, we what's that? Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Uh, the question is, how do we make the connection between total depravity and the conversation with regard to being born into homosexuality? Uh, is there a way to bridge that gap? And I, I think there is a way to bridge it. And I, I do think it's it's a legitimate theological answer, though it may seem like we're, sort of uh, dodging the question and and the answer is that we're all born with it Uh, in other words we are born in total depravity we are all born into sin David says in Psalm 51 in sin my mother conceived me and so as a consequence there's no question it is part of our DNA to begin with all sin is so we're not better off and we're not uh because we're now Christian in the sense that we weren't born that way or or making the argument a biological argument i don't see that that removes it from the theological conversation we're all born in sin it's just one sin as as opposed to another and so i think we could say you're exactly right you were born this way and in fact i was born uh, in sin also Uh, it might actually make for an interesting transition but like i said i don't know that i've answered your question so much as i have avoided it.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Luke. To follow up with Michael's question, how would you, with wisdom, in that question, uh, sever the connection between nature and license? Someone born this way, therefore, it's okay that they are that way.
6: Yeah.
2: So the question uh, is: uh, How do you uh, basically a continuation of the question? How do you uh, enter into discourse with someone when they're saying, I, "I'm uh, well." The most common one is, "God made me this way. I'm just continuing with the way that God made me." And uh, I'll I'll answer the question. If Gail categorized his as a non-answer, I'll continue with that non-answer. <laughs> Uh, It is. It's true. I mean that we're we're all born uh, sinners. We're all uh, and and to to blame that on God to say, well, God made me desire sin. He created me, and in somehow in that creation, I have within me a desire to elevate myself and run away from God. Uh, That's that's the fall of man. That's not God's fault. My I have to answer for my own self. I have to answer for the fact that I'm a sinner. I can't blame shift back onto God. I mean, you don't you don't go very far into Genesis before you see the very first blame shift associated with the very first sin. Right? It's this is the woman you gave me. I wouldn't have done this if you hadn't have given me this woman. Right? Adam for the first sin was accompanied by the first blame shift. So. It's a blame shift for a homosexual to say, God made me this way. Because you know, and you don't want to get into arguments and, and semantics of things. Your, your desire would be to say, we're alike. You think that you're different because you have temptations associated with homosexuality. You have same-sex temptation. Uh, that's a sexual temptation. How is that different from uh, heterosexual sexual temptation? It's not different. It's wanting to do. It's a desire to do something that God says is not good for you. It's it's not appropriate. It's not pure. It's not right. So, the in arguing against the idea that uh, they're different because they were born that way to Fred or to, Fred, to Gail's point, yes, you were. Born that way, in a sense, but that doesn't—that doesn't really mean anything. Because if, if you're even genetically predisposed towards homosexuality, that would mean I'm genetically predisposed towards heterosexuality. So should I embrace adultery? Something else that, uh, or fornication? God's pretty clear about those things as well. So we have more in common than we have difference. So if you're going to claim. Uh, a genetic predisposition or that you were born that way, welcome to the club. Everyone is born uh, that way. So that, that really isn't a, a reason to pursue uh, something that displeases God.
1: It's an anthropological question, right? If we, if we understand anthropology from what the Bible teaches, then we do understand that both of them have not answered the question correctly, <laughs> right, um, uh, because it depends on who you think we are, right, if, if they would submit to the fact that we were all born sinners, that's exactly right, we are all born sinners, we sin because we're sinners, we don't, we're not sinners because we sin, right, so, so we start out with the problem, and I think the very question would actually be a great segue into the gospel. Because you, you have, yeah, you know, you're right. You're, it feels to you like you have no choice here. It feels like you did not choose this orientation. That's what it feels like to you. And in a sense, you're right. We are born with sinful natures. And that's why we need a savior. Because you can't fix that. You know, it's not like you're consciously choosing to do that. Just like always. Just like I'm not always consciously choosing to be a selfish person. I don't wake up in the morning and say, I think I'll be selfish today. That sounds like a great idea. Right? It, a lot of sin is because we're sinners, it's not that we are aware of choosing that, it's because we're sinners by birth, by nature, by choice, and by practice.
0: David Hume called it the naturalistic fallacy, uh, which is that the way things are is the way things ought to be. Uh, and there seems to be a presupposition within that and in the way that you've described it Luke that that I don't think we necessarily should grant and that presupposition is that nature is static and not dynamic Uh, and what Pam was just saying is that because of the gospel our nature can change so I'm unwilling to grant that just having a certain nature uh, that that we are uh, necessarily enslaved to that nature for life to use the language of Romans 6 in a sense but our nature can change.
6: Go ahead, Jim. <laughs> I would add that it might be beneficial if you're in a discourse with somebody in this regard <coughs> to point out that there's some level at which they would assign. Because one of the offenses is that you're saying to them that they're wrong, and that seems to be one of the chief offenses that you have. Is you're saying something wrong, but to point out, or by asking them, or you best in the discussion you know who you're talking to but to say is there a point at which you would say somebody else's behavior is wrong and if you if you were to say to them is there a point at which somebody's desire uh, at what point for instance pedophiles or something are they wrong I mean, would you consider that wrong for them to be, at what point does it become wrong and if they can say identify a spot where they would say it's wrong then you can effectively say Well, if it's wrong, if it's okay for you to determine where right and wrong starts and stops, we just don't want God to be there. we let God be the one that says where something's right and wrong, rather than just based on our arguments and so on. -hmm.
3: Luke, did you have a follow-up?
6: I have a
5: follow-up for... um, If you're speaking to someone who's a little more intellectually fine, I don't think my sister right now. Kind of uh, as a response to hands and Leo's response, uh, I can see how those answers would open the doorway towards weighty theological discussions, mm-hmm. like sovereignty over sin, justification, predestination Would that be wise to follow that pattern, or at handset in order to of the gospel, someone who's more intellectually inclined could sense that maybe you're just trying to dodge the question to feel more crafty? can how would you, if you find yourself in that situation, what would you do then? With, and to raise that again, if they want to really get to the bottom of something, if they're really looking for some answers that they just don't seem to be satisfied so they get a certain answer, you know, like, you know what I'm saying?
0: There isn't. There it- is there a, an answer that you can give uh, in a more intellectual fashion uh, than just saying, well, you have to believe the gospel, or, or the gospel is the answer. And if, if they want something that is more explanatory than that, is that an accurate uh, rephrasing? And, and we're just rephrasing the questions for the recording. So yeah. I, I, was, I was
5: imagining how someone might respond to the answer. I, I like Pam's <coughs> answer. So I totally
0: yes. Yeah, and, and I think there is no better answer than the cross, uh, really. Any intellectual answer is just trying to get us closer to a point where we can say, so see, the nature can change because of the gospel, and and you do have this opportunity before you. Um, and this is what Jesus has done for me as well as for all who follow, all who believe. and, and So I... I don't know. Not that you're saying this at all, Luke. There is no better answer than the gospel, and we can have more intellectual conversations. But really, that's that's going to be the crux of the issue: is is will you bow the knee or not?
1: And I think. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Pam. I think that how somebody would respond to how I said that um, would depend on how I say that. Um, If I say that in a I love you way, and I'm looking at them, and I'm engaging with them, and I'm smiling at them, and I'm I'm wanting, I really do love them, right? I mean, love is hard to fake, right? If you don't love somebody, they're going to know you don't love them, even if you say, I love you. So rely on Christ for that. (coughs) Rely on Christ to give you the love that will pour out of your heart toward people who are sinning and different than you. So start there. and people know. I mean, people will respond to that in you, even if you're not giving them the answer that they want. They'll respond to your attitude toward them.
3: It has. OK. Joe and
4: I was uh, more curious on the, the church leadership side or as a church membership side, uh, how you guys deal with uh, homosexuality in the church as, I know i have two kind of questions with this one one is like all right so we have a homosexual person coming to church and like okay like in my understanding like okay he can't be in leadership because he's actually living in sin but we do want to share the gospel with him through this church but then that kind of goes with my next question is like how do you uh go along with things of like not people like oh it's okay to have homosexuals in the church mm-hmm. and uh, you know we have them in leadership, be it pastors. It says mm-hmm. where the Bible says this is clear
0: sin. So yeah. how do church leaders handle the issue of homosexuality within the church? In other yeah, words, like, on, on one end of the spectrum, uh, not having them in leadership and a, and condoning their their practice, but rather trying to appeal to them, and on the other end of the spe- spectrum, not just simply tolerating and say we will you know opening the doors an and Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I I guess my response, Joe, and and, um, this is not a cop out because this happens frequently, uh, but the issue isn't homosexuality. The issue is sin. Uh, And so who do we have in leadership? People who are struggling with sin. And the question is not, are you this kind of a sinner as opposed to that kind of a sinner, but rather, how's the struggle going? Uh, Are you giving in? Or are you keeping the fight, you know, so to speak? Are you, are you having some, uh, some success in such a way that you would be a mature believer that others could follow? Because we're all in sin. Uh, we all are wrestling with temptations. And so it's not a, a question of perfect leadership. And, and unfortunately, uh, LGBTQ has become. Uh, the sort of sin that is the, the Hollywood sin, so to speak. It's the, the glory sin that we all notice and that we all talk about and that, that is, is the one that, that we don't want in our church or something like that. And, and that's, that's really unfortunate because it tends to overshadow the fact that there's other sins too. And the question of leadership is not a question of which kind of sin, but rather how are we handling that sin.
2: So if you, I was just going to say, so if you broaden that out to say, uh, if you ask the question, are homosexuals welcome in our church? Uh, you'd have to have just broaden it out and say, are sinners welcome in our church? And if the answer is no, then no one should be there, right? So uh, so you'd have to say, uh, if sinners are welcome, then homosexuals, as uh, a category of, of sinner, they better be welcome. Are uh, but then when you get to the point of talking about church leadership and church membership, you start going in the direction of: uh, Is there a someone that's practicing a certain sin and embracing it? Uh, and maybe they don't practice every possible sin, but but there's one that is theirs that they they really identify with. Uh, then. Uh, as, a, as a church that's striving to be led according to biblical principles, you'd have to say no you know a that, that, uh, leader in the church cannot be characterized by a certain kind of sin or they're not fit to be, uh, you know you don't line up very well with the, the charges for church leadership
3: John, let me just ask one thing off that because it's, it's such a neat question that Joe asks let me give you this scenario you're you're in the, you're in church let's just say at, at grace and pastor brian is doing the announcements and two men walk in holding hands and sit next to you um uh at, first of all what what kind of things should go through your mind and uh, how might you interact with them uh when, if if that were to occur which i think it does occur uh gail could i start with you
0: uh, yes, it does occur, and the first thing you think is, "I want to meet those guys. Uh, I want to go have lunch with those guys because they're here for a reason. And it, it may strike us as odd that they're here, but fact of the matter is they're they're wanting to be here for a reason. So I'd I'd like to talk to the talk to them about the gospel and see uh, what their response is. Now it it may be that they're here to make a point, you know. In other words, it's, it's a political visit, not a genuine interest. And uh, that's okay. I, either way, I want them to hear the gospel and not leave without hearing that. So yeah, it, when, when sin is exposed, our, our response should not be uh, repulsion, but rather, here's an opportunity.
3: So Pam, you engage Uh, With a couple ladies who sit next to you, and uh, and you say, "Hey, I'm so glad you're here." Uh, um, What if if they say, "Well, is you know, is it is it okay that we're here?" I mean, do you do you think that uh, is this church accepting of us? You know, and and I've had people ask me that: Is your church uh, LGBTQ friendly? Mm -hmm. And my answer has always been yes. But if you in that scenario, how would you respond?
1: <clears throat> me. I think I would respond to say something like, you know, we're all here because we need Jesus. And, you know, if you guys are headed toward that, toward that um, perspective, if you, if you want what God has to offer you, this is a great place for you to be, just like it's a great place for all of us to be. So I may not, I may not even acknowledge the difference that they're trying to put on their sin versus my sin. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
4: <coughs> Ready to, uh,
5: just follow-up. Sure. Uh,
4: so I was thinking more of like because yes, as you said, like we are sinners when we come to church, and all of us are perfect. But and it's not just a gay or lesbian and stuff like that, but as in like to say we welcome you but we don't want you to continue in sin so how do you address someone like say as that gay couple keeps coming in
6: mm-hmm.
4: i mean in my mind i don't want to propagate it like oh it's okay we accept people who are gay and it's okay if you're gay too it's like you no know, this is what the bible states that is being you know, homosexual is a sin but to say like yes we want to tell you the gospel and want you to be saved and you get to know jesus christ but we don't approve of your lifestyle
0: Joe's question seems to be more of a methodological question. How, how do we go about and strategize having the conversation so that we can actually uh, speak truth in such a way that, that they will hear that this lifestyle is a sin, you need salvation, but yet doing it in such a way that, that doesn't necessarily drive them away? Is that fair, Joe? Uh, part
4: of it's like protecting the church because sure. if a sin is you know, neglected, oh, will show up everywhere.
0: Yes, and we, we do need to protect the church. And, and pr- partly, I think the answer to your question, Joe, is another question. Uh, how do you eat an elephant? One bite, at a time. One bite at a time. Yeah, in other words, if you're trying to have the whole conversation immediately, uh, I, I can't guarantee, but my guess is it's not going to go so well. Uh, so maybe starting with uh, a question and and interest that that isn't directed toward their lifestyle per se, but rather more of a question of personal interest. In other words, try to develop some relationship so that the conversation when, and not if, but when it turns to homosexuality and homosexuality and scripture and the church and so forth, you have at least some relationship, some platform, uh, that they can hear uh, what you're saying and think, okay, maybe this is a guy I could trust and and not trying to bite it all off at one sitting or at the first occasion.
1: Uh, Again, I would say, you know, it's not that different than if somebody came to our fellowship who was struggling being an alcoholic or um, any other thing. You'd want to befriend them. You'd want to ask them. We talked about this, I think, a little bit last time. Your approach is not going to be so much preachy as it is going to be um, asking a lot of questions. I want to really understand what they are struggling with and how their life has come to this point. Um, and they will, they are oftentimes very, and the ones that I have interacted with are often very um, <clears throat> grateful that you want to know, that you're interested in what's going on in their life. Um, because you can't really do wise ministry until you know the person that's in front of you. Um, Not everybody's the same. Just because they're labeled lesbian or homosexuality, that does not put them in a category. They're all different. Excuse me, so you have to know the person, so listen a lot, be compassionate to them, understand that that their lifestyle is just not that great. I mean, the culture would like us to believe that being a homosexual is a wonderful thing and we should celebrate it, when reality is we know that if you're walking in a way that God hates, you're not going to have a great life, right? We know that. We know there's a God in heaven, and we know that when we don't walk his ways, we experience things that are not pleasant. Uh, so knowing that, despite what anybody else says, um, we can have compassion on them, even if their struggles and their suffering is due to their own choices. We can have compassion for that. Um, Jesus did, right?
2: And if it's, a, if it's a couple that's walking into church, a church, holding hands... I guess I would say there is no silver bullet language you're going to say to them that in an instant is going to make any difference to them. And in fact, if are if hearts if they're willing to demonstrate uh, personal affection for each other in a church in that way, um, it's going to take time, as uh, I'll, Gail's analogy of eating the elephant if you try to <laughs> do that in one bite, you're going to choke and you're going to choke in, in any discussion that you would enter into the first time you would, uh, if you're seated next to this couple, um, I guess I would say is probably the last thing that you're going to talk about. Questions about uh, wh- where are they in the community? What do what are they involved in? What do they do for a living? Uh, building relationship there, not on a surfacey level, so I'm going to pretend like I'm their friend so I can get an in to condemn their actions. That, that, that's not the... Uh, the objective, but you know, and my wife and I are involved in the wedding community, and there are certainly vendors in the uh, the wedding services industry that are homosexual, and you know, there's a there's a couple, a gay couple, two guys that are just absolutely delightful people. They're hysterical. Their senses of humor are just phenomenal, and we have uh, enjoyed their company and. And not spend a lot of time with them, but the time that we have spent, I I would consider them to be friends. We've never talked about the homosexual lifestyle. We've never talked about uh, what God has to say about that because our our relationship just hasn't progressed to that point. They've they've never asked, well, what what we know you're Christians. What why is this or why is that? Or we've heard that, you know, it's not necessarily you're not promoting your your wedding venue as a location for. Uh, for gay weddings, why is that? It, it hasn't come up yet. It, it may well, and at that point, then we'll we'll have a foundation of friendship to build that conversation on. Hey, john
5: John's first, yeah. So I was just communicating with somebody just right at the end of the break, who I'd gone to high school with, who um, you know believes in morality, but only really on a cultural level, and doesn't, you know. And I understand it's more of an authority issue, but doesn't believe in in the actual um reality of sin. And so if you talk about things that are moral or amoral, talk about, you know, on a cultural level, okay, this is right and this is wrong. How do you translate or transfer that conversation into a way that you could um, make sin a reality in your mind and you can show them the, the presence of a, a sin nature that's separating them from God and blinding them to this reality of the gospel?
0: Practical consequence is always a good conversation to have. In other words uh, What are the effects of sin perhaps could be a conversation that would would make a difference and cause them to say, okay, well, maybe maybe there is something to a moral versus an immoral lifestyle, for, you know, so for instance uh, What are the consequences of living <coughs> a certain way uh, and that doesn't have to have to do specifically with a homosexual lifestyle, though certainly that could fit the discussion. But, but what, what are the consequences of sin? Because they are, as, as Pam was saying, they are not rewarding. They are not positive and not pleasant. So chances are he's felt the weight of some of that consequence and, and may want to know, is there any relief, any answer that can deal with the source of this, get at the root of this, in other words.
1: And we know from Romans 2 that everyone has a conscience. Um, So the person that you're dealing with does know some things that they're not admitting they know, which is they do know right and wrong. Uh, Their conscience could be seared. Their conscience could be suppressed, right? Suppressing the truth. Um, You might begin a conversation about guilt you know, have you ever felt guilt? Well, what do you feel guilty for? What do you do when you feel guilty? It's a possible avenue.
3: Zach, forgive me, I'm, I'm gonna end <coughs> on time, I think, uh, for once in my <laughs> chapel overseeing <laughs> career. Um, I, my, my hope is that uh, as we, we've been talking about these things, such good questions, uh, such a huge cultural issue, and, and I just wanna be as transparent as I can. I hope that it reduces any kind of uh uh maybe even hatred that the church has or the people within the church has for people who are hurting and know that that this is the place for forgiveness you know this is the place where your confusion and your your desire to be loved and your desire to be accepted can be found and fulfilled in Christ and we're the ones who know him and I just hope that 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 is a part of the this discussion continues that on in our community here at the bible college in a healthy and and in a winsome manner so let's continue to discuss this if you guys have more questions please you know get go to ryan's office go get in touch with brad or pam or gail and uh, and let's continue to talk about it's such a healthy thing for us to do and to understand this uh issue from a biblical perspective so I, i thank the panelists for joining us and for doing this again. Um, And I just ask, uh, uh, if you do have more questions, let's keep the conversation going. Pam, would you close us in prayer?
1: I do. Dear Father God, thank you so much for this time together uh, with these students, Lord, who are seeking to follow you well and who are seeking to understand uh, this whole phenomena, the whole cultural phenomena of the LGBTQ. movement and lord just help us to be wise as we interact with people help us to um, certainly bring your truth uh, to the world to the people in winsome ways lord in ways that that are wise in ways that are that are sensitive and that are aware of the context that we're in the people that we're talking to um, in ways that will really impact the world for you father i just pray that you would strengthen each one here to be able to do that, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.